This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know now that there are a lot of ways that our personal experiences, our life experiences really impact us in a lot of different ways when it comes to the reproductive period of time. There are definitely some things that we know are risk factors that might be impacting our mental health during conception, pregnancy loss, or postpartum. But what we don't know is exactly how those things are going to be affecting us really until you're going through it. And sometimes even if we prepare for pregnancy or birth or postpartum, there's still so much to know and learn from the experience itself. What we're going to be hearing today is one person's experience after adult sexual trauma and into a birth experience of four biological births and one adoption. Emily Finnamore is sharing her story with us today. As a mother and as a clinician, Part of her experience is that she couldn't find information anywhere on what to prepare for or what to think about after the experience of sexual trauma in her early adult life. One of the things she wants people to know is that there's not necessarily a right answer for everybody and that each birth experience can be different and bring healing. Emily Finnamore serves as a child and adolescent therapist as well as the outpatient clinic manager for WVU Medicine Behavioral Medicine. Her previous work includes 10 plus years of working in various capacities of child welfare systems, clinical work in family treatment drug court, implementing a large-scale research project at the Air Force Academy, and operating a private practice. Her area of clinical focus has been complex developmental trauma. In an effort to support communities of West Virginia as they work to meet challenging needs of these children, she has trained frontline staff, educators, and behavioral health professionals, as well as families, on understanding the neurodevelopmental effects of complex trauma and appropriate interventions to support regulation and healing. She is also the parent to five children through both biology and adoption. Because of the nature of this topic and sexual trauma and differing birth experiences, 
This episode may be sensitive to some listeners, so if you feel you're you're not quite ready to listen in, just know that we will be here for you when you are. And if you are listening in with us today, know that Emily shares her story and the effort and hope for you to know that you're not alone. Let's welcome Emily. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi, thanks for having me. So I'm really grateful that you're coming on to share your story with us. And I think it's really, really important. A lot of people don't know how past sexual trauma will impact them and certainly sometimes aren't even aware that it could impact them during pregnancy, birth, or postpartum. I'm really grateful that you're bringing your story to us so that we can learn how you healed and hear the possibility of healing for others. So yeah, start wherever you'd like to with your story. Okay. So yeah, I think the first thing I probably want to say is how much healing is certainly not linear. And I think I had this great hope that it would be a more clear process. And so I think I wanted to share my story a little bit today just to bring light to the idea that healing can look lots of ways. And as anyone who has survived any kind of hardship in their lives, we know that it creeps up when we least expect it and, mm-hmm. you know, can, is always kind of present even no matter where we are in the healing journey. So I had sexual trauma. I was sexually assaulted right after I graduated from undergraduate and went through the criminal proceedings and spent some time in the courtroom as a result of that trauma. And in fact, I think the sexual trauma was as impactful to me as the courtroom trauma. Mm, So that's mm, probably mm -hmm. a separate podcast. But I think so that happened right after college in my early 20s. And I became a mom for the first time at 27. Mm -hmm. And I have five children. And I have had probably, well, not every type of birth, but most of them. So I'm parenting four children through biology and one child through adoption. And so it's probably helpful to just kind of line those out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so my oldest, my firstborn, I wanted to have a natural childbirth and had originally wanted to have a midwife, though my spouse was very much not keen to that idea. And he thought that was absurd. So (laughs) we compromised to a natural birth in the hospital with an obstetrician. And I think in terms of my healing journey at that point, I felt pretty rigid to my plan as I think lots of first time parents can understand how rigid we feel when we first become parents, right? We have a plan, we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. I think my birth plan was three pages long with a staple. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that if I remained in charge of my birth, that I could feel okay with what was happening to my body. Mm. And I think that that was the important piece for me. My obstetrician had been my gynecologist since my teenage years, which was such a gift because she felt like a safe person to me. Mm-hmm. The problem with that, though, was I was in a large practice where they rotated who was going to be present on the actual day of your birth. So I ended up not having my typical OB present for my son's birth, which I think was the first really hard thing for me. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't a very familiar person. In fact, she was new to the practice and new to the field. However, I labored at home for a much longer time than I should have. And my son (laughs) was born within, I think, 45 minutes of me getting to the hospital. 
but it was a very intense labor. I went through transition at home mm. and I felt really out of control. Mm -hmm. So I think I thought I had this plan and that the plan would get me to the end that I needed. And I'm sure that that is in large part about the rigidity that you sometimes feel as you heal from trauma. Sure. And that if you have a plan, that it will be okay. And as it turns out, parenting has been an incredible journey of me learning that control is elusive. <laughs> oh, man. And we right. never get to have it, right? Mm -hmm. And so right. in some ways, that birth experience was so important for me as much as it was hard because it, it taught me my first of a hundred million lessons and how much I am not in control of being a parent, of what parenting means to me, and certainly within the context of my trauma mm -hmm. and within the context of my life. That parenting is so much, childbirth and parenting is about remaining as in control as you can of what you can control and then giving grace to what you can. So oh, that is so hard. And it's a really hard way to learn that lesson. Yeah. But I think no one really articulated that to me when mm -hmm. I became a parent. Um, you know, I had reached out for support. I had gone through counseling and I don't think I was in therapy at the time, but I think I, I had this illusion that there, that there would be, that I had done enough gatekeeping to make the experience feel okay. And, mm -hmm. and while it wasn't terrible, it certainly wasn't healing. So I think that's the first thing I want to say is I sure. thought that having a natural birth would bring me this healing because I stayed in charge of my body. But birth, the birth experience was so out of, felt so out of control to me. Mm. It is, it did, in terms of how the, your past sexual trauma played out, did it sort of show up for you, so to speak, in that birth? <sighs> I think... Let me think about that question. I think my trauma response showed up in my birth. Yeah. Which is to say that I think I just powered through it. Mm -hmm. I kind of couldn't be as present as I needed to be because I needed to get to the end. Yeah. Oh, th thank you for answering that question. I know it's it's not an easy one, in part because of the nature of trauma, but also this is this is your very deep and personal experience, and it's um, you know it's very hard to to talk about, let alone remember some of those details sometimes. Yeah, and it's interesting to share. You know, I think in my role, my professional role, I don't often share my personal life. So yeah, <laughs> I don't hardly ever. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I think. So that's my oldest, Trey, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I was pregnant again. Um, I became pregnant again when Trey was only three months old. And so I didn't, I don't think I processed his birth totally before I was <laughs> thrust into pregnancy again. Mm -hmm. um, and so my second pregnancy was absolutely different because I was parenting a new baby and learning how to be a mom and preparing for the birth of my second. Sure. I had a, another kind of hitch thrown into it. My best friends in the whole world were getting married. I had introduced them mm -hmm. and they were getting married and their wedding day was the due date of my second. Oh gosh. <laughs> and so I had thought about, you know, what I wanted to do and what I wanted to choose. And if this interview is any indication of how much I like to try and be in control of things, <laughs> someone on the end there will be listening like, girl, you got to let go of that. <laughs> so it was a planned induction for my second with the same OB practice. Mm -hmm. 
and the birth, so I could plan the birth to be with my doc who I had been with since I was young. And she was also the same doc who had done my sexual assault follow-up exam. Okay. And so I, I think that's one of the factors to play into how healing Luca's birth was. Mm. It gave me so many things back. But what's funny is uh, his birth, I swore I would ha- not have a medicated birth. And, I ha- and so I went in to be induced and my OB told me, you'll be fine. You're a warrior. You can get through it. You can go natural. Well, I got that Pitocin and there was no natural to be had. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I like whoever, you know, shares that kind of knowledge. I don't know if they've ever actually <laughs> tried it, but mm-hmm. you know, like my spine felt like it was, you know, mm-hmm. outside of my body. I realized that your audience, probably some women who have given birth yet. So so she had been a part of my healing journey and had, I had this intimate relationship with her where I knew her well and felt safe with her, mm-hmm. which was, was very, I think so much more important that I gave credit for. Yeah. And so I thought all of these interventions that I had planned all these interventions that we say yes or no to all these ways we give permission into our body. I thought that gatekeeping was what was going to make me feel safe and secure. Mm-hmm. And what Luca's birth taught me was that the relationship and the space in the room was so important. Yeah. And I also really got to experience the joy of birth because of the medication, because of my epidural. Mm. I initially thought, not being able to feel my body would induce a trauma response. Mm-hmm. And what I found out, what, what became true for me for Luca's birth was that the pain took me outside of my body yeah. in a way that didn't feel okay. Mm-hmm. And so having the epidural allowed me to stay present, to stay focused, to feel the joy. I had my mother and my mother-in-law in the room, and it just felt it was sterile in this way that I had never wanted. But aside from the sterility I felt in the hospital setting, I felt so present and that healed me in this way that I never anticipated. When my baby came out, I reached down and pulled him out. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel, it didn't feel forceful. Mm -hmm. And that felt important. Absolutely. Oh yeah. That's a big, big piece of healing. I don't know, maybe there's different ways we survive and we heal, but, you know, I, I think I thought that it felt too passive to be okay, mm. but it wasn't passive. It was active in this very different, different intentional way that, I don't know, it was, it was lovely. And uh, my mom always tells this story that Luca came out with a laugh because I got to reach down and I remember feeling his, my doc encouraged me to feel his head as he, as he was coming and I could feel his hair and it gave me such joy. And I laughed. And as I laughed, he came all the way up. (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) Wow. That is quite a reclaiming. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful part of that story. It was just lovely. And if you met Luca, he is still laughing all the way. (laughs) My child of joy. So so that, you know, it was really nice. And uh, yeah, I think that might be all I want to say about that. So then my, my third child is my daughter and we adopted her from foster care. And I always say that her labor was the longest and the hardest. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
It was yeah. absolutely the longest and the hardest. While there isn't um, an inherent link to my sexual trauma with childbirth in that way, I think adoption does touch on your trauma and your sense, your feelings of feeling out of control, mm-hmm. of um, watching a system that victimizes and it's blah, blah. There's probably, we probably need a whole other podcast. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I need to touch on that too much. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, if you have, yeah, just a little, if you have some, just highlighting that a little bit, right. You're a hundred percent correct. That is a whole other full (laughs) podcast of many, many episodes. But I, I do think it's valuable to understand how that fits in for you. Okay. So my daughter's adoption story you know we got into it thinking we had biological children and I have I had worked in the system for years and it was something I'd wanted to do since I was a kid really Mm. so we signed up for the process thinking we could really work with birth parents that was the goal for my spouse and I that we would kind of walk hand in hand with birth parents and work towards reunification well again best laid plans (laughs) (laughs) she was our first and only placement and we finalized her adoption two years after she was placed with us. Mm. But her placement journey was really hard, you know, and I think it having a daughter, maybe I could talk about that a little bit, having a daughter who was not biologically mine, who I was entrusted with completely, Mm -hmm. how vulnerable that idea is, shook me in a way that I wasn't ready. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Your first Um, two children were boys. Boys. Yes. Uh I'm sorry. Yes. So I had two boys biologically and then adopted, fostered and then adopted our daughter. And I think I, I didn't, I didn't think about that part either. That like when you're caring for a child, you are caring for all of them Mm -hmm. and how intimate care is for a perfect stranger. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she was placed into our home. And within an hour, I was giving her a bath, right? And so mm-hmm. the what that means for a survivor of sexual trauma is powerful too. Yeah. The, the, and the lack of permission and consent a child can give you to full care of them is, right. is a lot to manage and wrap your brain around and, and just dive right into. Yeah. How old was she when she was placed with you? She was placed with us at five months old, mm-hmm. and then we finalized her adoption two years later. So yeah, yeah. So she was so little, little. Oh, she was so little. Yeah, <laughs> her big blue eyes. She was so little, and you know, with adoption, everything is different. We didn't smell like anything she knew. Mm-hmm. We didn't sound like anything she knew. We didn't move like anything she knew. Mm-hmm. And to and to be aware of that, right? As as also being a professional in the field, to be aware sure. of that. Yeah. And it's just so darn intimate and right. Oof, a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert Uliana Ortube. And she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. 
The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I, I do appreciate that point also. I think before we had started recording, we kind of talked about being in, in this field and being so aware of, you know, cognitive and emotional processes of ourselves, but also of our children. And it's, you know, to the therapists who are listening and maybe to like the intuitive and highly sensitive people who are listening, having this awareness is beautiful because you, you can kind of think deeply about what's going on for another person and what's going on for yourself, but it's also exhausting. It's a lot of energy and it takes a lot of time and intentionality to really wrap your head around all of these psychological, emotional processes happening all the time. Absolutely. And you know, it's funny you bring that up, Kat, because that makes it triggers my thoughts about vigilance mm-hmm. and how as a parent, you're vigilant, oh, yeah. as a clinician, right. you're vigilant, yeah. and as a survivor, you're vigilant. And so I think that the empathy that I have and understanding I have for other families who are listening is that that vigilance can be so exhausting. And yeah. that alone is that piece of survivorship totally. that's hard to ig- it's hard to acknowledge, too, mm-hmm. because... Mm-hmm. You, you don't want that to be true. You want to be able to say like, I'm vigilant in these ways, but these ways don't affect my vigilance, but they <laughs> yeah. totally do, you know? Yeah, they do. Um, and I think parenting is this ultimate reminder of how vulnerable humanity is. Oh, and man. being a survivor, it's hard to have that reminder a lot. Mm-hmm. All, all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it feels like, constant. Yeah. Vulnerability, vulnerability. Oh, Everyone's my vulnerable. My children are vulnerable. Yeah. I'm vulnerable. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 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 Thank you for bringing that in. So impactful and so important. Totally. Yeah. So maybe, maybe I'll talk about my final two because they have great stories too. Mm -hmm. Um, So we, when we, my spouse and I moved out to Colorado and that was where our last two sons were born and Colorado, I found to just be so much more, there were so many more natural birth options 
which is really where my heart had always lived. Mm -hmm. But again, that's interesting, right? Because I still would say Luca's birth was my most healing birth, Mm -hmm. which was completely not, you know, when I read Ina Mae Gaskin's book, (laughs) it wasn't in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Gus is my fourth. And when he was born, we had a hospital birth, but with a certified nurse midwife. And I had planned to have a natural birth. And again, he came pretty quickly. But this, for his birth, I didn't have any family present. Mm. And in fact, my spouse wasn't present the whole time because he had to go get our kids from school. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So wonderfully, though, I had an incredible birth photographer. So this was the first birth that I had had photographed. Mm. It was kind of becoming a thing as I became a mother. The more children I had, it became more of a thing. And so I had the privilege of meeting my birth photographer when she was first starting her, her company. And she was such um, a wonderful presence for me. So she ended up not get, catching much of my birth mm-hmm. because it happened so quickly. But she wheeled my son from the birth, the delivery room to the recovery room for me no. because Vic had to go get our other kids from oh school. And so I think for me with that birth, what I learned, well, a couple of things. One is that the, when I have natural births, the pain takes me out of my body and it is very empowering to me, but I am also very, I am not very present. Right. And right. it's, I would say that birth, it took me a good hour to regain presence into my body because of the pain. Mm. And I was very grateful for the photography because it is such a beautiful and important moment for me. And it helps me to bring back the memories and recall them and, wow. and, and to reprocess the memory and kind of reintegrate it into the birth story. So by that, after having Lucas' birth be so healing, I wasn't traumatized by the pain in the way that I was that for that first birth. Mm. I knew it was coming. I knew what it would kind of look like. And having the photographs then allowed me to complete the story in a way that that kind of (laughs) dissociative state pain can take us to didn't allow for my birth with my first with Trey. So photography played this important role in my in my trauma response also in that it allowed me to to own those memories and recall them in a way that felt okay for me. That's so, amazing. You wouldn't not necessarily been able to predict that. No. And yeah. I, and that certainly wasn't why I did it. Right, right. <laughs> you know, you know, I just as a mother and I, I just I love birth. I I believe, mm-hmm. you know, I just it's just such a I don't know. It's just so much all of the hardest and best things about being a woman exist mm-hmm. in childbirth in some way, I think yeah. for me. Yeah. So, so my photos were beautiful and I treasured them and I we thought we were done (laughs) Gus was our Gus was our end cap and then we were surprised with one more and so I when I found out that I was pregnant I really struggled with that because again Mm -hmm. here you are I love to control things Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. and I thought I had controlled for all of all of the factors so when I found out I was pregnant with Abram I did a different kind of grief work and then became ready to be a mom again. And he is such a light. I can't believe I was ever doing any grief work. But when I planned for Abram's birth, so this was going to be my, if this is the way it was going to go, I was going to do it the way I wanted to. So I had this lovely opportunity to, be, to use a birthing center. And Colorado has lots of birthing centers that right, were right. not an opportunity in Ohio where we came from at the time. 
amazingly, I found my birth center through my birth photographer. Mm -hmm. So she had moved up to Denver and I found, in fact, I wish you could talk to her too. My midwife specialized in birth after trauma. Oh, fantastic. Birth centers are just this lovely place that is so not a hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, the exam occur, would occur on like, it was like a day bed. And uh, I developed a relationship with Sherry and she was there for every appointment. And I would go to the place where I was going to be giving birth. And, you know, everyone asked about, you know, like was just interested in my life and the kids and mm-hmm. my work. And Sherry and I were able to share, you know, as a clinician, I was able to we kind of talked about deeper things. We talked about treatment and we talked about healing women's lives. And what does that mean for us in all of the ways we are healers and have insight into our journeys. And um, so we planned my birth, but didn't plan it and all (laughs) of the wonderful ways midwives do. And uh, I was able to have all of my children present for Abram's birth. And Monet actually did the photography as well as a video, which I should share with you. It's lovely. Hmm. But so again, I had planned for a natural birth. He came super quickly. And my relationship with Sherry was so impactful to have. It, it was like this beautiful f- full circle. The, the, the birthing center is all women. Mm-hmm. And there's something very comforting about that. Yeah. It felt nice to be able to share this laboring space. And she helped me, I think, embrace all of the mess. Mm. You know, because we, as human beings, we are so messy. We are. We really are. Yeah. And birth is so messy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's messy in all of the ways it comes to us and the, and the way the sensations in our body and the ways that it what I want to say, the ways that birth impacts us are so unpredictable. And, you know, they really can jab at you in these ways, they kind of sneak into all your crevices. And Mm -hmm. birth is just this unpredictable experience. And I never really got it was the first time I felt supported in this way where I felt like I could show up as a whole person, as all of the things, mm-hmm. with all of my kids, with, you know, mm-hmm. all of our belongings strewn everywhere, <laughs> and still have this beautiful birth. It was beautiful. It was quiet when it needed to be quiet. It was loud when it needed <laughs> to be loud. Mm-hmm. It was always within my control. And I think I had gotten far, far enough along in my journey to know what was going to happen in the ways that felt in control. And in the ways I felt out of control, I felt safe to turn over to her. You know, I said Lucas was healing, but that, but Abrams was really healing too, because it was understanding my body completely mm, yeah, and having this relationship with my birth provider, having my spouse present, yeah. um, it completed the circle, you know, and it, it certainly wasn't perfect but it felt whole. It felt authentic. Mm. And it was really neat to see my kids experience the birth. I think that's a really neat thing. So my oldest two at the time were, I guess, like not eight and nine and old enough to engage with what was happening. Mm -hmm. And I really loved my boys. So my daughter, she chose not to be in the room, which was also really interesting. 
you know, I, I always hope to teach my children to speak up for what they need and how they take care of themselves. And Lucy was not into that. I think the pain, it's intense to see your parent go through that, you know? And so she, she would, the birthing center was really lovely. They had kind of a living room space. And so she stayed out there so she could be present when she chose and kind of Mm, come and go. That's lovely. Which was really nice for her. And it's a nice way that she could keep herself safe. So I was grateful for that. But my boys got to understand bodies in a different way and understand productive pain. You know, it was all these really incredible things. And I, this picture of my son, again, this is why I love birth photography. There's a picture of my son uh, watching Abram Crown. And the look on his face was kind of all of the feeling in the room, you know, like his empathy for me his excitement, his fear. It was Mm -hmm. all of the feelings Mm -hmm. all at once. But yeah, so I really had all of these different birth stories and different birth experiences. And I think I wanted to share that because it just feels so important for me to empower women to know that there is no right answer. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think moms and women in general, we're all doing a better job of accepting people where they are and letting them show up in the ways and the spaces they need to, to take care of themselves and their bodies. But I wish I had had this insight of that, that illusion of control won't heal you. Yeah. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Oh, it's it's hard because you can only know that after. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Darn it. I, I know. I mean, you know, I think there's some learning beforehand, but and it's one thing to kind of in your head know that that's a possibility, and but then to embody it is different. I think it's absolutely 100% reasonable and normal to want to control as much as possible. 
because, you know, if you've been through something bad, you don't want to go through something bad again. And gosh, sometimes healing comes in just like for you've experienced in ways that we don't expect. That's so true. And I think, you know, my experience is, is absolutely mine. And each experience is so individual. Mm-hmm. I think we all have this, uh, this, this thought that if we read enough, if we, if we do enough, if we know enough, if we plan enough, if we control enough, it will be okay. It will get us to this outcome that we have sought after. Sure. And, you know, all of these birth experiences for me taught me that it's like being present for the journey, being honest, those, those things march us towards healing, but they certainly don't finish the journey, hmm. you know? And, yeah. and, you know, I did, I did learn how important relationship was for me mm-hmm. in that space. Right. That connection, yeah. feeling. Yeah. Uh, feeling supported. Yeah, and understood, I think. Sure. And and not that I, not that each I wasn't connected and supported in each experience, but what that meant to me, I think I didn't have insight about at the time. Right. Oh man, healing is such a crazy journey. It re- yeah, it really is. And and I think sexual trauma particularly as it relates to childbirth, I thought I'd connected the dots, but I think I was also so young too, and mm-hmm. I'm still mm-hmm. on this journey, but um it didn't trigger in the ways I thought it would. And it did trigger me in ways that I didn't think it would. It was very unexpected. You know, Mm -hmm. I think having, I did not know that there are, I didn't know that there were midwives who were trained in in birth with sexual trauma. I didn't even know that was a thing to look for. Mm -hmm. So that's another piece I think that's probably helpful for people to know. I, and in fact, I don't even have all the resources, Kat. You, like, I, I don't know where mm-hmm. you need to go to kind of find those, but the, mm-hmm. that would be super helpful for people who are listening, yeah. who are interested to pursue that. Yes, absolutely. Trauma-informed care providers across the board would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, yeah. I didn't know. I don't, I don't even know if there is sort of a consortium. I'm sure there are of like lists where you can find providers, licensed providers. Um, who are certified in that, but you know that those are things you don't even think to look for. I think, sure. and I'm, <laughs> I'm <Sure>. a clinician, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there there are so many needs to be met in the birthing space in in general, but f- for sure, trauma of all kinds and and birth of all kinds really do intersect quite a bit, and also because the nature of sexual trauma is what it is. And birthing is so intimate and often, you know, is the, the parts of our body that were traumatized or are being engaged for birth. It, it can bring up quite a lot. And you, uh, just in your experience with the, the four births and um, adoption, have it has Im- impacted you in five distinct ways and probably yes. some overlap the here and there. But right, just to your point that it the variation of experiences is, is still very much there. Right. Even, you know, even the same body, the same. Yeah. It's even the same body and evolution of time, mm-hmm. you know, changes mm-hmm. each, each experience right. so much. So I wonder, you know, the, the experience that you had, obviously, oh, you know, like in the field where we're suggesting that people come up with, with wish lists or loose plans or things like that, that have some flexibility for birth. And also given that you can't really control, you know, all the outcomes or how everything plays out, piggybacking on what you said about kind of, uh, you know, going in there and being present. 
what else would you suggest to people, you know, based on your experience and based on clinically for people who have had sexual trauma and are going into the birthing process? Things for people to think about because it is it is such a delicate balance of I, I really want to control things and also to know that it might not turn out that way. The way that you want is, is a challenge in and of itself. So I think the first thing is that when I had my first, it was my first, you never know what you're getting into, but I don't mm-hmm. think I dialogued with my partner enough about what it meant to be a survivor of sexual trauma and give birth. Sure, sure. And I don't know that, I don't even know that I had the words for that at the time, you Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. but had I had some support around that, that should, had I known now, that's one of the things I would have done is really talked to him about what, what that could mean for me. I, I don't think you have any way to anticipate what it will mean for you. Right. Right. But you know, by, by, by my son Gus's birth, my spouse really understood my birthing language, mm-hmm. which sounds kind of silly, but you know, the things that I need and don't need, the protocol, if you will. Sure. So yeah. I think I think by the third, he felt supportive. But mm. in the first, well, certainly with Trey, my oldest, I think he didn't know what to do. Birth is can be very hard for partners, I would imagine. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, to watch this person you care about so deeply be in such pain, but for such a productive and positive reason. I mean, there must just be so much, but I I don't think we talked enough about that. Mm -hmm. And we, we took all of the parenting classes and we felt like we had (laughs) Mm -hmm. well prepared, but I think just those really honest conversations about what that might look like for you and how does your spouse or birth partner or whomever is with you, how do they help you find your voice even when you are in the midst of pain, how will you continue to be able to communicate? Because for some people, more than others, that pain takes you out of your ability to really think logically and clearly. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, so how will you communicate with those in the room your needs when you aren't particularly articulate? Mm-hmm. Ah, that's um, so, so important. Yeah, so I think that is something to really think about. I think it's probably really a good idea to think about how when you are in a stressful situation, when things are really hard and you are starting to dissociate or check out, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And how could that be brought about in the birth process from what Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I think I didn't think about that either. And these are things I think a a good therapeutic relationship could really help you with as you prepare for birth. So I would say, you know, being engaged with a clinician as you prepare for your birth process, it would be the number one thing to do, right? Because having that supportive external presence and clinical presence to help you think about the things you may not be taking into account from a neurological perspective, when you think about engaging your like amygdalic response, which certainly happens in childbirth. Mm -hmm. You know, I think those are important things to think about. And if you're engaged in clinical work, you're probably doing that work anyway. And just applying that to the birth process would be super helpful. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thank you for all of those points and being able to speak to them so articulately as well. We think it's it's hard to kind of shift back and forth between our own story and then like clinical brain. So, That's what I was thinking when you asked me that question. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have to turn off all these feelings. <laughs> Get to work. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my gosh, we do that all the time, right? Yes. Therapists. It's, it's amazing how fast the switch can take place. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, I, th- I thank you for, for that because I do understand how hard that switch is. 
and for sharing all of your your birth and adoption experiences. Okay, so switching back a little bit to your personal story, my assumption from hearing you talk about this is that you've come a long way in your healing. And I'm wondering if you can let us know a little bit about your healing and also just hopeful messages for people who might have similar experiences. Absolutely. I think I think there are lots of ways to find healing as a human being. And one of those ways is becoming a parent. I will tell you that nothing has challenged me and healed me all at the same time so much Mm -hmm. as becoming a mother. Mm -hmm. And, you know, birth is the start of your parenthood journey. And I don't think that I'm at the end of my healing. My hope is that I am always continuing to heal and grow. I think being honest about my experience helps me to heal, to be able to share the ways that things are hard, the way that things are beautiful. I think that that is a big place for my own personal healing journey is to speak it out loud. Mm -hmm. And so I'm grateful for this time, Kat. Thank you so much, because my hope is that I can share with others that while we have this trauma and this thing that may have happened, it isn't who we are. And it isn't all we are within these experiences, but it will always be this peace and Mm -hmm. acknowledging its presence in every room is important in every kind of situation. You know, it it doesn't, it can be only a moment, but it is forever this peace and that that's okay, right? Normalizing that peace and, and integrating that piece of who we are into our lives is crucial. And I think I've learned on this journey that there was this period of time when this thing happened, right? And then I went from this thing happening to, I can't talk about this thing happening to, it's all I talk about. And as I've moved through in my journey, it's become this piece. It doesn't, it usually doesn't feel very big and it's always Mm -hmm. there, but it isn't defining. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for all of the pieces in some way. Oh, it's beautiful. That's like healing in a nutshell. I love it. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. I You're yeah. Welcome. I really appreciate your your time and your honesty with your experience and letting us take a glimpse into your healing process. I know it's going to be helpful for so many people. Yeah, I'm really grateful that you have this out there for all kinds of parents. It's wonderful to know you're not alone and I think that that's a big piece of what you're doing. So, rock on. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Emily, for those takeaways and for letting us know that each birth experience can be different and can bring healing despite what we've gone through in the past. Certainly having the right kind of help and support is very beneficial. For those of you who've listened to this episode today and realized that maybe you need a little bit more support or some things came up for you that you didn't quite expect as you were listening, please know that there is help available and you do not have to figure this out on your own. You can check out Postpartum Support International. Go to postpartum.net under Get Help and look for support in your state and online. If you're joining us today for the first time on the Mom and Mind podcast, please do subscribe so you can get every episode downloaded directly to you when it drops. And if there is one person in your life who you think could benefit from this episode, please do share this. There is something so powerful about knowing that you're not alone and to know that you can get healing and help for what you're experiencing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning. 
where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.